king. The king is in residence today. Joy. When we manifest our joy, it's like a flag. And it's over the castle of our hearts. It's showing what's inside. And we're announcing that the king is living here today. Are you rejoicing? Always. Okay. Well, the book of Philippians is really about joy. That's the main thing. There are other things, but that's the one that really is brought forth and it uh, definitely is seen in our text today in verses 3-5 through five of chapter 1. And what we see here is a man like the Apostle Paul who is a man of living faith. It's vibrant. And at the same time, he has circumstances that are hard to imagine. He is in jail. He is in prison. And uh, it's not good circumstances being in prison in those days, but he radiates. He shows this joy that he has, this desire. Wouldn't you love to have the joy that Paul had? In all circumstances, he knew what it was. Uh, But we have the joy. As Christians, we have it. Sometimes it does not manifest as fruit. We have to fight for it. We have to fight for joy, even in our own circumstances that we have. So this little epistle, this, this letter here, encourages us, the believers, to manifest this fruit, love, joy, peace, right? This joy, to manifest it always. Because He commands us, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. That is in this epistle that it's found. We're commanded. We don't have uh, an option whether we want to have joy or not. We are exhorted to do that. So this section today is dealing with Paul praying for them and thanking uh, the Lord for the joy that was brought to him because of them. He's driven by joy for these fellow saints. He's driven by it. It's just a part of him. And so while he was in prison, as he wrote this letter, he's showing that he is producing, uh, he is showing the joy because it is produced by the Holy Spirit. The very power of God, the very presence of God is there. Um, He is in His midst. So if God is there in our midst, He is joy, isn't He? That's part of Him. That's who He is. He was so near to God, He was just full of joy. Showing it constantly. And as a result, you know what it did? It overflowed. It overflowed and then it just spilled out all over the other believers as He wrote to them or as He talked to them and encouraged them. So um, Paul knows what it is to rejoice and he wants them to see what he has even in his circumstances and that they too would have the same joy. Um, He had received a gift from the Philippians. They had given money out of their poverty. Uh, They gave more than the Corinthians who were rich compared to them. And Paul told the Corinthians about that. These Philippians had given. And then Epaphroditus comes to him, we see near the end of this letter in chapter 4, and he has this offering that is given to, to Paul, floodgates of joy just burst open uh, in his heart, showing that um, he can't hold anything back. I have so much joy here. Don't worry about me. You know, I, big deal, I'm in jail. I want you to rejoice. Don't worry about my circumstances. He's so filled with that. There's a guy by the name of William Kelly, and he wrote this. I'll read this for a moment here. Here's a quote. Think of him in prison for years. Now, chained between two soldiers, debarred from the work he loved, and others take advantage of his absence to grieve him, 
preaching the very gospel out of contention and strife, and yet his heart was so running over with joy that he was filling others up with it. (laughs) Hard to imagine being in that kind of situation. What he was wanting to do was communicate with these believers to show that he has affection for them, a love for them, um, and, and in such a way that he's devoted toward God so much that he's devoted towards the people, and he wants them to catch that same thing. And so he's announcing this thing. So it is to all the believers of the church age. We are to have this same kind of joy that he has. So we're going to peek in on a little bit of what he was thinking as he was praying to God. Get in on the Apostle Paul's prayer and say, hey, I want to make that my prayer too. Uh, It's been said that joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. You want, to, you want to show the presence of God in your life? If you show the joy that's there. Um, another uh, thought, and William Barclay, who was liberal in, in a lot of his writing, but he did have some helpful thoughts in his commentaries. I don't read a lot of his stuff, but sometimes he has some things that uh, are attention getters. He says, We are chosen for joy. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms and nothing in all Christian history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. (laughs) You know, Christians sometimes are some of the worst witnesses of what Christ has done for us. We should be the most joyous people in all the world and sometimes we don't exhibit that. We show how sad and gloomy we can be. Christians have no option to do that. Anyway, let's uh, let's stand and uh, let's read God's Word in Philippians 1, verse 3, as He has already uh, addressed the greeting in the first couple of verses, which we dealt with last week. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And as we now go into it, may we be able to see uh, this uh, theme that Paul has given in this prayer. And uh, may it be produced more and more in our lives as we yield to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Paul starts off with uh, remembrance. He uh, is remembering about these Philippians. Now, he's not with them right now. He's in jail. He's Like we've introduced before, he's in Rome. Or most people say he was in Rome. And, and uh, so he's remembering these Philippians. Uh, Paul thought about these saints. What brothers and sisters they were in Christ. And he couldn't help but come up with some positive remembrances. thought about all these good things the Lord had done in them. And it brought him joy. And he, and he writes this letter and he, he tells him about it. And he starts off with this uh, word, I thank. Thank is Eucharisteo. Uh, Eucharistio is really dealing with thanksgiving. We'll just say it real easy there for us. It, he was giving thanks for their faith. And because of their faith, he had joy because they had faith. And it brings him that. So he can't help but express gratitude. Thanksgiving. Saying a good word here, a very gracious word. He thanks God for them. And then he says, I thank my God. Not just thanking God. Have you noticed that? My God? That is a pretty good expression there of how Paul had a relationship with God. He's my God. 
He's our God, isn't He? And you can say, He's my God. Feel safe to say that He is my God. What a privilege we have. The Creator of all the universe, and He's my God. Now, Paul used that quite frequently. I don't want to wear this out, but let's turn to a few of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Let's see how he expressed that to the Corinthians. I think, there's a familiar word that we just saw, my God, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Very similar to our Philippian text. I thank my God always, you know, just constantly for the grace of God, for their salvation, and they consistently live by the grace of God. Let's go to Colossians, the book right after Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 3. Again, after a greeting here, he brings forth a Christian prayer. It was always in a letter that people would extend some kind of a good thing to say to people. Well, Paul takes it up a level, takes it up another step here and says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This time, he says, to God, but our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope. Faith, hope, and love. We give thanks always to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God. My God. Right? Go to First Thessalonians. After Colossians comes Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. That's pretty simple, isn't it? He gives a greeting and then he comes on with... the Something along the same lines. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. There's faith, hope, and love that they had in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. What a relationship. Sometimes he says, my God. Sometimes he says, our God, our Lord and Savior, our God and Father, for their faith, for their hope, for their love that they had, that God had given them. Then we can go to 2 Timothy, and that's not too far from Thessalonians. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. And again, I thank God. He was always thankful, wasn't he? I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline or sound mind. I thank God. I thank God or I thank my God. Um, I'm thinking here of you and I'm in prayers day and night all day long. And let's go to one more. After Titus, you have the book of Philemon. And there in verse 4, I thank my God, there's my God, always making mention of you in my prayers. Thanking God always, but He's my God. He's our God. Enough of that. We get the idea, right? But that's nice to know that we go before the throne and we remember people. Now that, that idea of remembering... 
Every remembrance that Paul had was a delight to him. It was a joyful thing to be thinking on these people. As he was in prison, he wasn't thinking how bad he had it. He was thinking about all the churches that the Lord had brought him to and where He had started churches and planted them and and they were growing and he was hearing the news about that. And so he spent a lot of his time, if he wasn't writing or reading and studying, if he had that opportunity, then he would be thinking on uh, the saints as he was thinking on the Lord. Sweet memories to him. And you think last week when we started and looked at the background of Philippians, we were in Acts 16. And that gives us a great background, doesn't it? That's how the church got started. And we know that he went to the riverside and there were some ladies gathered together. They were praying. And uh, they weren't Christians yet. They didn't know about Christ. But Paul, as he sees what they're doing, he brings the Gospel. Lydia is uh, gets her heart opened by the Lord. I love that passage where it says, the Lord opened her heart. That's a mark of a true salvation. She didn't make this thing happen. God put Paul there. Paul goes over and at the same time uh, God opens her heart. She's ready to receive the Gospel, the good news, and she becomes a believer. Then later in Acts 16, there's a demon-possessed girl and uh, we see that um, she she actually is stopped from doing her divination and the things that she had uh, that was involved with uh, actually Satanism paganism and all that different kind of thing that was happening in that city actually made uh, the silversmiths very mad. And But anyway, we don't know what, what happened with this possessed girl, but it could have been that she could have become a Christian and was part of that first uh, church there put in Philippi. There was a jailer. We know about him. The Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He heard some of the hymns, and I'm sure in those hymns they heard great doctrine about what salvation was, about what grace was. And uh, and then he says, What can I do to be saved? And uh, there it is. Wow, that's, that's some of the early people involved in the church. That's how it got started. Wouldn't you think that that would be grand remembrances? As it just got started, there weren't any Christians there when Paul started. And most of these guys are not Jewish people. They're, they're, uh, they're pagan people. And here they become Christians. So, and, and then the Philippian people give him all sorts of... Uh, give it, they give to him in, in his state that he's in. As time goes on, Epaphroditus brings that. Paul is just overjoyed. And he's able to recall the goodness of people. Had great thoughts. Sweet memories. No better memories. He doesn't mention that here. Um, He's just rejoicing over what the Lord had done with them. And that's the key to us. If we would remember all the things that God has done to His people all around us and remember those, it can sure bring a lot of sweeter uh, thoughts and having a right attitude rather than thinking of all those things that sometimes are sinful things that people do. I'm sure there were, and, and there was, there was sin there right in the Philippian church. There is everywhere. All churches have sin because they're made up of people. They're made up of people who sin, like us, even though we're believers. We still sin. We have shortcomings. But you know what? We don't emphasize those things. And if it comes up in our mind, you know what we should do? Erase it. 
You know, we, <clears throat> that's what, what Paul is doing. He forgot about the negatives. And we tend to have those as, a, as remembrances sometimes. Thomas Hardy said this. I don't want to get too gross here, but I thought it was quite an, almost humorous. Um, but it, it makes a, t- uh, a tone here. Some people can find the manure pile in any kind of meadow. We can find, if we want to, we can really find all the bad stuff. That's really easy. We still sin. We are being changed. There's a lot of good things. That meadow is a beautiful place with grass and, oh, what a, what a peaceful place. And the sun is shining and then somebody always has to find the, the bad stuff about it. But Paul's joy. He, he expressed it here. Pleasant. Pleasant memories. I mean, this is real. He's not faking this. And what's happening? Holy Spirit is producing that. Well, that's number one. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Point number two. We're moving along, guys. Hey. And it's not even five minutes before the ending where we have to go to point two and three in the next two minutes. (laughs) He had a joy in praying for others. Not only remembering them, but then he puts it into prayer. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. A lot of superlatives there. Always prayer. Every prayer for all of you. (laughs) When you're led by God's Spirit, Paul was led by God's Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're full of the Word of God. You let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. When you do that, you are then filled with the joy, with the love, with the peace, with the patience. You're filled with that. You're being moved along, carried along by God's Spirit. And that's simply what Paul is doing. If you're filled with the Word of God, then you're filled with the Spirit of God. And so he says, always offering prayer. The word here means uh, to petition. To bring someone else's needs before God. These people need this. I'm going to take it to Him. It's doing it for others. Always offering prayer. There are different Greek words for prayer, but this one is is dealing with um, a petition. We get to be a part of the blessing that God has for the rest of the saints and when we pray for them and then later on we might even see a result of that and we can say, yeah, thank you Lord for letting me be a part for praying for them. It might be some kind of health issue. It might be some kind of a spiritual issue. It might be some kind of a thing that they're they're struggling with. Uh, it might be the fact that they're looking for a job. Uh, you name it. It can be a one of many, many things and when we pray for them we go, Look, at that. Look what God has done here. And so anyway, it's a blessing for all of us. Do you think Paul delighted in this? Well, he knows all of these believers. And I believe he brought up their names before the Lord as he thought of each individual. And uh, no matter what his circumstance was, he brings that before him. So he recollected these believers, put them in his thoughts, and then he put that thought into prayer. So he didn't go around looking for the bad of others. But he looked for what God had done in them. Uh, look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. This gives us the kind of attitude that we are always to have. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then it gives that epitome of humility there. 
following about Jesus Christ being the perfect example of, of uh, being for others, the interest of others. That's the context here, of thinking of others. And Paul is later going to say that as he shows it right here, what he's doing. Um, he was fulfilled. Joy delights in petitioning for people. Bringing what people's needs are before our great God. Our God. And we get to petition it. It doesn't concern uh, about itself. And we are to pray for ourselves. But we're not to just be consumed with the prayers for ourselves and not to be praying for others. If we would have the attitude of interest of others even more, um, you know, that may catch on and you might have a whole lot of people praying for you. But you know what? If you're not a joyful person, there's a good chance that there are a lot of people that are not praying for you. Because if you're you're not joyful and you're not delighted, it's hard for people to be around you if you are not uh, contagious with joy. They may try to to help you out, but if you don't have that joy, we might be praying that they have joy, but sometimes people don't know what to do because uh, they're not not feeling open for that. Um, So, joy doesn't concern self. Joy concerns about the interest of others. Paul says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Concerned about their pain. Things that they're going through. Look not on your own things, Philippians chapter 2 says, or let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's what we're to do. People are to be regarded as more important than ourselves. That's not natural. I'll tell you, that's hard. To regard people over us. That goes against the grain of... Um, you used to hear it quite frequently, but you don't hear it quite as much anymore, but self-esteem. I think Philippians goes against the grain of that. Christ-esteem. I still remember that. Don Matzat wrote a book called Christ-esteem. And that was during the 80s when self-esteem was hitting so big and it was coming into the Christian bookstores and see all the books about self-esteem and how we need to be thinking about ourselves and how great we are. And, and uh, here he came out with a book called Christ-esteem. We can take joy because of who we are in Christ. We don't have to take joy because of who we are in this flesh. As a matter of fact, that can be rather uh, depressing of who we are in the flesh. But if we see ourselves in Christ... Now we have reason for joy. We see the right place for that, don't we? Do you find delight in interceding for someone else? Do you find delight in that? When you pray, is it your joy to pray for somebody's spiritual benefit? That is going to bring joy. Or do we pray about ourselves and then that's it? That's, I think, what Paul is trying to get across here as, as he's doing this. Now, the opposite of this is seeing when people have a lack of joy. We're all guilty of this. We're not going to uh, lie and fib here and say, hey, I have joy all the time. I'm just one of the most joyous people in all the world and I'm just happy and everything's going... Hey, you can tell right away when somebody is lacking joy. The first thing you see is they have no kind of positive thoughts. Everything is negative. It generally comes out from their heart and they expose it through their mouths. And that's one way you can tell it. The second evidence is uh, no concern for other people's welfare. They're not really thinking about others. They're always constantly dwelling on themselves. And third thing is really it's a, it's a 
It's a failure. Maybe the perhaps, uh, maybe the greatest uh, sin for a Christian sometimes is not to intercede for other people on their behalf. Because what we're doing is we're going back to self, we're going back to our own pride, and if we pray for others, then we're giving up ourselves and we're thinking in the way that we should be thinking. Uh, It takes away the selfishness. It takes away the self-centeredness that we constantly, always, as far as the flesh is concerned, wants to do. Flesh hates the spirit, spirit hates the flesh. It's a battle, it's a war. And we're so concerned with ourselves. And if we would just give that up and remember that, hey, I need to be attuned to who the Lord wants me to be praying for. That kind of lack of joy will manifest itself in prayerlessness. So this prayer that Paul has, I think, is very good for all of us. I think it's something that encourages us to show what it really is to have this. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's a good thing to come up to people and say, hey, would you pray for me? I need prayer. I just want you to be praying for me for my spiritual benefits. Hey, uh, you be praying for me. And what that is saying, it's not that you're bent on yourself, but you are desiring other people to get in on helping you give glory to God and being put that forth. It, sometimes I think it, it could be a matter of pride. Oh, I'm doing just fine. I don't need any prayer. I don't need for you to do that. It's a good thing to say, hey, listen, uh, pray for me on this issue here. I, I'm trying to uh, figure out what the Lord has in mind. And uh, maybe if you pray, uh, maybe um, maybe He will give uh, some insight to you. Or at least uh, wisdom to be part of that. Uh, God uses a lot of different people in the body of Christ, all the people, as, I guess you could say, channels of comfort to the people who need that. That's how the body works. We, we need... All of that. Uh, are you the kind of person that is uh, easy for others to thank God for you? I think that's a good question. I was uh, looking at Ligon Duncan's thoughts on this verse uh, here in verse 4. And uh, he gave some very pinpointed questions. And that was just right out in front. It was like, do you make it easy for others to thank God for you uh, and uh, being joyful in, in, your, in their prayers? I think that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, are you the kind of person that's so encouraging, so gospel-focused, so grace-filled, so supportive of all the rest of the body that people just can't wait to pray for you because you've been such a blessing to them? Well, that's quite a, uh, an encouraging thought, isn't it? Motivate us uh, towards that. There uh, was a guy by the name of George Raindrop. That's an interesting name, just in itself. But um, he tells in the, this book that he wrote that there was this nurse. And this nurse was helping this one man and uh, who uh, was physically having some troubles, but spiritually he was even having more troubles. And he said, uh, how, do you, how do you pray? You seem to really pray real well all the time. And so she taught this man how to pray. And she started with her hand. And it was the thumb that she started with as the first finger to start with because she says the thumb actually is pointing where? To us. But really it's the nearest to us. And so when when you're thinking about you want to pray not, not starting with yourself but of course you start praising God but what it meant to her is that she wanted to pray for the people who were the nearest to her. The ones who were the nearest. That's where you start with. 
First you think of your family, your friends, the rest of the people in the church. So you start with that. The second finger is used for pointing, isn't it? You have a thumb going back here and then you have a finger. Well, teachers do this a lot. They'll point. right? They'll point out certain things. Uh, they might ask a question and uh, point to you. Hey, you, give me the answer to this. right? Um, and so it's for people who teach us. You might have books that you read, certain authors. You might have different ministries that are on the radio or in the internet that you listen to quite frequently and they teach you constantly. You have teachers and Bible study. And all of those people. And people you fellowship with and they're teaching us. So you want to pray for them. So now we have the people that are nearest to us and we have all those different uh, teachers. Uh, then you have a third finger and of course that is the tallest one. And it stood for the VIPs. These would be the people that, that lead us. And it could be the people who lead us in the church. It could be people who lead us in this community. It could be people who lead us in this state. People who lead us in the national government, federal government. Uh, all those leaders that we have. And of course, we know it's biblical to be praying for them. Every sphere of life. And then the fourth finger would be the weakest. That one right there. And every... Uh, Guitar player knows that. Maybe even uh, piano players, I'm not sure. But always have the trouble of using that finger a lot. But it stood for those who are weak. And they are troubled. And they're in pain. And they really need to be prayed for. And so we want to pray for them. And then you have the little finger. That's the smallest. And it's the most unimportant. Uh, I know Phil Keggy was one of the greatest guitar players in the world. As Jimi Hendrix had said one time, that was quite a compliment. Phil Keggy uh, being a Christian guitar player, that would be the case. Uh, but he wrote a lot of songs that were Christian. But he had a, before his Christian days, he had a finger cut off and he was a sacrifice to, uh, to Satan. Uh, he later became a Christian. But uh, this greatest guitar player in the world was missing a finger. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, but the little finger to this nurse stood for herself. That's the last that she prayed for. She started with others and ended up with the most insignificant of all. And of course, over all of this is the glory of God. You know, of course, I think we want to start with the fact that uh, God uh, is high and lofty and holy. And uh, yet He uh, also asks for us to intercede. And so Paul says, always offering prayer. Always. Paul prayed always. He told us to. Because not always is he doing this kind of mode or on his knees. But he's God conscious. Constantly he's knowing that God is right there. And sometimes we whisper little thoughts that go through our, our minds right there. Oh Lord, you know, I hope this person here, you know, that's in a need, you know, just lift those up every once in Every prayer. It seems like every prayer that he did, it was for the Philippians. And then he'd say the same thing to the Colossians or the Ephesians. Every prayer that he had, I'm going, man, how much time did he spend in prayer? Every church that he started, he's praying for and praying for all those people that he knows there. And then he finds out there are new believers and he starts praying for them. He just adds them to the list. It's a, it seems like it's never ending. And that's what Paul did. Always doing that. And I have to wonder if sometimes God gave him a little rest and uh, had him uh, arrested and put in prison where he could have more time to pray than he would if he was out ministering. He had a great balance going on there. God has some things in mind sometimes that look so negative to us and He knows exactly what He's doing. 
You say, was it God's will that Paul be put in prison? Well, God is sovereign. And He could have kept him from uh, that happening. God used it. I'm not saying get put in jail, get arrested. But um, at the same time, He was always praying. Always. They were always in His prayers. Now, we move into verse 5. We're in part 3. And this is joy and fellowship. So we've seen remembrance. And now we've seen prayer. And He says, in view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. He had joy in remembering. He had joy as He prayed for them. And now He has joy in their participation or their fellowship. He recollected. He interceded. And now He's talking about this fellowship. That's koinonia. You've heard the word often. You know what that means. Fellowship. It means communion. Uh, some kind of uh, sharing together. Something in common. He says, hey, we have this in common. In view of your our commonality that we have here, and in view of our sharing that we have, and our participation, and our partnership in the Gospel. What joy he had. Uh, look in Romans 12.13 and, and you'll get this same word. The thought This is used constantly by Paul. Anyway, you've heard of it. At, uh, koinonia. In Romans 12, verse 13, where it's a section that's talking about, hey, behave like a Christian. You have everything you need to do that. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Contributing. Being a part of the rest of the body. Being in commonality. Being in fellowship, partnership with them. In, in what? In the needs of the saints. In, in practicing hospitality. That's something to be in common with. Or in chapter 15 of verse 26, same word again. In the same Greek word. English words can be different, but they're the same thought. 26, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Here, they are serving together. They're contributing together. Participating in the Gospel. Look at Philippians 4.14. Near the end of this little epistle that we're studying. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. To fellowship with me in my affliction. To commune with me. To share. To partnership with me in my affliction. As he goes through that. So they were part of him. This fellowship. This time that uh, he went through. You know what they did? They gave up all that they had for the Gospel. It cost them. Not only did it cost them money, but it cost them time. Uh, there was a price to pay. Because Christ was being glorified in all the ministry that Paul was doing. And, and so what we can look back at is sinners were being converted. They were all participating in people becoming to Christ. And as they were drawn to them. Uh, they were participating in the service of the Gospel. The, sh- the shared life. There was a mutual cooperation. There was an involvement there. And so what Paul did in the work of the Gospel, they were part of too. Either they were praying or carrying on the, the good news. And-, and Paul is saying this, that he has fellowship, communion with these people who actually were Gentile Philippians. 
And you think of Paul being a Jew of Jews, a Benjamite of Benjamite, and what a, uh, a Jew he was, as he expressed it later on in, in this very same uh, book here. Uh, he says, hey, I understand you. You understand me. We're Christians. Yeah, yeah, we've been. There, there's definitely a setting apart here. Look at my background. Look at your background. What a difference. You know what? There's not a difference. They have fellowship in the gospel now. They are related. They are more related than any other thing that puts us together. Uh, all of America is related because they're American citizens. Uh, or people are related because they come from a, a particular race. Or people are related because they come from a certain family name. You know, or they work a, a, a same kind of job. But there is nothing, nothing like the fellowship that Christians have together in the gospel. You can't compare it to anything. Think of all the organizations. Think of all the uh, uh, sports. You know how they have everything in common in all those different sports activities. And here we have a fellowship, a partnership that nobody else outside Christianity can talk about and understand the fellowship of this Gospel. It's not based on any kind of natural background affinity that we may have. It's based upon Christ. It's based upon the Gospel as Paul relates to us right here. In view of your participation in the Gospel, Angelion, good news. Matter of fact, I think it's the whole scheme of the Gospel. I'm going back from before the foundations of the world, if you if you may. But it's definitely going back to the time that Christ brought them into salvation. And then, as they served Christ in their walk, and they were being sanctified. Um, so anyway, um, we all believe in the same truth of God's Word, don't we? We come here together, and we have the same view of the Word of God as everybody else here. And... Uh, we have a fellowship of prayer. It's a fellowship, a commonality on behalf of one another as we be praying for others. We have a fellowship of praise. When we praise God, we have that same kind of participation. When we give thanksgiving, we have that same participation. Uh, when we serve others' needs, others are doing that also. Um, we we take the load, we shoulder it, and we do ministry, whatever God has given us to do. We, we contribute to others' needs. Sometimes we give money together to different people, uh, whether it be uh, seminary students, whether it be missionary work, uh, and, and all sorts of different avenues, different ministries that we contribute. We're all doing that together. You know, We may not exactly see all the results, but we know that God is working through that. We promote the Gospel. Have you ever thought of yourself as a promoter of the Gospel? Well, if you believe it, then you also share in it when you're a part of the body of Christ. Uh, we're detached from the world and we have a fellowship with each other. Is there anything in the world as wonderful as this? You can't think of any corporation, organization, or anything that is like this. That's what Paul is so joyous about. In view of your participation or fellowship in the Gospel, Paul would do. Saying this to Gentiles, fellow members who have been graced by the Gospel. 
Love for one another. That's another part of the, this Gospel. Paul will say to the Corinthians, and I said it earlier, that these Macedonian believers were poorer than the Corinthians. The Corinthians were better off financially than these Macedonians, yet the Macedonians gave. And they gave out of their hearts and out of their own lack. They generously gave to Paul and the ministry and the Gospel. Oh, he even told the Corinthians, you need to be more like those Philippians who have less than you do. <laughs> Ooh. But over and all, Paul's ministry, they are part of. That's a tangible support they got to play in there. Your participation in the Gospel. And lastly, and not leastly, and actually above all, we participate in the Gospel because of the glory of Christ. The supreme glory of Christ is the reason why we participate or fellowship together when we worship, when we serve, when we pray. Here we are. And isn't that what it's all about? To bring glory to Christ. We share together the very furtherance of the Gospel. The Gospel of this Kingdom. So, to wrap this all up, as He said, from the first day until now, even all the way up right now, from the day that you came to Christ, all the way into this, God has an overarching plan. We're filled with God's Spirit. He will produce in us this joy. And what will happen is we'll start recollecting sweet memories of people. And then because of that, we will want to intercede on behalf of others and all their needs, and not looking at them negatively, but looking at the delight that God has given you to pray for them and rejoice in the fellowship or the participation as we work together. There's never a perfect fellowship. never will be. It can't happen until Christ comes back. Until, and He says in verse 6, and we'll get to that next week, He's going to perfect and make us even more mature and bring us to the end and then we'll be at that supernatural fellowship that we desire. But you know what we have right now? We have a supernatural fellowship. None of us had any dream of us coming together like this, let's say, 30 years ago. And if you can't relate to 30, if you're not 30, then 20 years ago, how about a year ago? Months ago. God is the one who is sovereign. He puts it together. We didn't make it happen. He did. He brings us together. I can't fathom this, how that works. Sometimes He puts a whole great big group of people together where you have literally 10, 20,000 people. Sometimes 100 people. Sometimes 50. Sometimes like us, 20, 25 people. That's great. Uh, We have something in common. A God-authored, divinely designed fellowship. Let's pray.